The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Thank you, Gesho, and thank you, Torre. It is uh, really a pleasure to practice together this morning, um, to connect in the quiet of our zazen here on Cape Cod, where um, I'm talking to you from Hyena Sendo, uh, our little affiliate sangha, and I see our other affiliates in upstate New York, um, the Zendo in New York, of course, other folks on the Cape, our California contingent, and people from all over. Um, it's really amazing to connect in our sitting and in our chanting, which as we were uh, chanting the Heart Sutra earlier and um, the Gatan opening the Sutra, um, I, I was feeling connected in a different way in this kind of uh, beautiful expression of the Dharma that we do in our chanting. And I was reminded of a quote um, by a musicologist uh, named Paul Green, who writes a lot about Buddhist music. And he says the heterophonic texture of chanting and heterophonic just means a single melody uh, with variations in pitch and timing. And so when we chant together, even though we're chanting a relatively bland melody, <laughs> we're chanting it in heterophony. And even though here in the Zendo, um, or here in our space, I just hear the few voices here and I heard our Eno leading us Torre, I also saw everyone else chanting and felt supported by that, uh, that visual manifestation of heterophony. And so Green says the heterophonic texture renders audible the priority that chanting is about conveying the Dharma together, a collective as a collective expression. And that really um, is visible in this in this new format in a different way that I'm enjoying a lot. And so my name is Fugan and it's good to see a lot of uh, old friends and new faces as well. Uh, as I said, I'm speaking to you from Cape Cod, from our small affiliate out here called Hyena Sendo. And I'm speaking at the end of a, a really kind of hectic week uh, in my life, a week that was full of uh, lots of teaching. I do some teaching at different colleges in different states, uh, a lot of travel, uh, rehearsals for music performances. I also play music and gigs, so late nights and early mornings. Um, I got very sick on a new medication and got very well <laughs> a few days later, which was nice, uh, but it was it was a very hectic week. And, and we're approaching the end of Ango now, um, our period of peaceful dwelling or uh, tranquil shelter is another translation of Ango. And so, you know, how do we find this shelter in our busy lives? And in our practice, in our Sangha, we begin Ango with Seshin, you know, and then we spend the rest of the 90 day practice period increasing our practice at home, intensifying our daily practice. 
And so our ango is really in large part in our daily lives, our lay lives of work, uh, family obligations, uh, traveling, paying bills, moving, you know, our attention uh, to these many things, you know, 10,000 things, it seems like. And in this 21st century world, this space of daily life uh, seems to be a profound space uh, for manifesting our vows, uh, for showing up as bodhisattvas. And this container of ango and this container of practice that we're in, that we've created, points us in a direction uh, for understanding practice as daily life. Right? And that's really nice to say, uh, easy to say, and hard to do. You know, um, in part because we're so often stuck on our fears or hopes about the future. Um, you know, as we were sitting and it was very beautiful here this morning uh, with sort of what started out at the beginning of the period, snow is all melted away as the temperature is rising. Uh, also, my lists of things to do or not to do or I wish I could do or haven't done, they all visited me as well. Right, these regrets about uh, what we did wrong earlier today, yesterday, in high school. <laughs> these things that uh, plague us. Um, and we can't often bring ourselves here for our lives to be together. And that's why many of us come to practice, to address this sense of disease, dis-ease that comes from being drowned in regrets and fears, uh, being stuck in our ideas of the past, hopes for the future. Uh, so peaceful dwelling, dwelling in our lives as they are right now, hectic. And throughout Anga, we've had this uh, wonderful opportunity to get to know uh, about Pang Yun, an eighth century layman uh, who's Zen life really epitomized uh, this integration of practice and daily life. Uh, he embodied peaceful dwelling in the midst of the world, not separate at all. And without taking up a monastic life, you know, Pong created a life practice that included everything. Nothing is left out. You know, he had encounters with the great Zen teachers of his time and especially Shito and Mazu. And he spent time with his friends, you know, hanging out, playing, uh, joking, training. You know, he spent a long time doing hard Zen training and traveling, being on pilgrimage. And Layman Pong had a home. He dealt with finances. Um, he was a wealthy merchant, and then he gave up all the wealth. And after that, he started a small business, a family business, weaving baskets. And in, in Roshi's recent talk, uh, she highlighted the generosity uh, of giving, of non-attachment that uh, Pong's dramatic gesture when he sank his family's wealth into a lake um, to live a simple life of the Dharma. And she highlighted how that gesture can inspire us to release our fear of not having enough, uh, to 
encourage our generosity in our daily lives uh, in small ways uh, and in big ways. And Pong's practice really importantly included his family. He didn't leave home and ordained. Now, as the text tells us, the whole family practiced the way. Lehman Pong and his family and their practice uh, emphasize that ordinary life, making choices on how they want to live, uh, living a humble life, weaving baskets and selling them in the market, chopping wood and gathering water right, with an ordinary mind in their world of 10,000 things. All of it uh, is the ideal time and space, the place for awakening. And in fact, it's the only place for awakening. And rather than running away from the complications of life, Pong went fully into it. When he asked uh, great master Ma, what about someone who has no connection with the 10,000 things, 10,000 dharmas? And he's asking, uh, how can we live in the world without being attached to the things of the world, you know, to our fears and regrets? Master Ma said, I'll tell you when you swallow the West River in one gulp, you know, swallow the whole universe at once. It's all included. Pong's life, his work, his meditation, study, travel, family, it's all included. Swallow it in a great gulp. Right? How can you swallow the vast Atlantic out here in one gulp or the great Hudson River in a single mighty gulp? Just moment by moment, this and this and this. When Pang was about to die, he called his daughter to him and they had a final back and forth expressing the Dharma. The layman said, as the day turns from morning to night, can it be said when it has reached the half, reached halfway? Ling Chao, his daughter, went into the garden and said, it's midday, yet there's some obscurity. And in sub-translation, she says, it's midday, yet there's an eclipse. After going outside to check on this, the layman turns and sees Ling Chao sitting in his meditation seat, but she had died. The layman laughed and said, my girl has fitted the arrowhead to the shaft. He tests her, she tests him. And while the layman is still busy clarifying these obscurities, Ling Chao is already fully let go. A week later, the governor of Yu, Governor Yu, came to inquire about the layman's illness. And the layman recited a verse. He laid his head on the governor's lap and he passed away. So the daughter Ling Chao dies sitting. The layman offers his final teaching and dies lying down. And what about the son? Uh, his name is Kang Hyo. The son dies standing. And after that, Mrs. Pong, she walked away, never to be seen again. Walking, standing, sitting, lying down. These are the four postures where the Buddha failed manifest. 
four places where the pangs show us letting go. We don't uh, hear anything about the sun, Kang, Kang Hyo, in the Zen encounters of Layman Pang, except in this one death scene. And when word reaches the sun, he's working with a hoe in a field. In the sayings and anecdotes, Layman and his daughter, and to a lesser extent, Mrs. Pang, express their Zen understanding in these vibrant encounters with teachers, monks, and with each other. And some commentators suggest that the son, uh, who's not even named in the translation we're reading, he didn't do anything notable. You know, fine. <laughs> Maybe uh, Kang Hyo simply worked, weaving baskets uh, when that was the task. Or maybe he farmed a small plot of land to help support his mother while father and daughter were off on their Zen adventures together. And this, this everyday work is exactly what Pang elevates in his expressions of understanding. He wrote, what I do every day is nothing special. Collecting water and fetching firewood are prayers that meet the gods. Also hoeing a field or answering emails and cleaning the house, driving to work, visiting a sick friend, calling a Sangha member who's alone. I'd swallow it all in one gulp. In the story, when Kang Hyo hears about his sister and father dying, he exclaims, oh no. And he rests his head on the hoe handle and dies standing up. And in another translation, he sighs deeply before dying. And when I first read this, I was struck by it, and maybe even more so um, after hearing Miyoko Roshi's Fusatsu talk on, the, the, on feeling the depth of loss and the depth of joy. I hear Kang Hyo sigh as a deep expression of his sadness. Oh, no. He's opening his heart, accepting the loss of his father and sister, and expressing his hurt, you know, his devastation. He's bearing witness to the loss in himself in a beautiful response, feels genuine, uh, true. It seems like he feels the moment, um, but doesn't get swallowed up in it. Like his father and sister, he lets go and he dies standing up. You know, of course, in our vernacular way of speech, we think of birth and death as the beginning and then the end of things. But in Zen, we practice being born in each moment and dying in each moment. And in our Zazen, as we sat this morning, we saw all of us over and over again, the rising and dissolution thoughts arising, letting go, right? this constant birth and death on the cushion, and of course, available off the cushion. Morinanga Roshi writes that true existence is seeing birth and death instant by instant, right? entering the zendo or your sitting space, born in that moment, bowing to the cushion, born in that moment, leaving the kitchen after cooking a meal, right? letting it go, 
letting that moment die. Just born in the instant, dying in the instant. This is a vibrant, shimmering life. It's encountering each encounter. So the moment of hearing about his father and sister's death, uh, this moment of devastation arises and Kang Hyo expresses himself fully and deeply. Oh. And then the moment of letting go arises and Kang Ho dies standing with his Ho. Once when the layman was on his way to sell bamboo baskets, he stumbled and fell while crossing a bridge. When his daughter Ling Chao saw this, she came to her father's side and fell on the ground. The layman said, what are you doing? Ling Chao said, I saw you had fallen, and so I came to lend a hand. The layman said, but who can see that what there is to take a hold of? A few weeks ago, Joan Sensei uh, brought this uh, scene up, emphasizing how Ling Chao is showing up for her father, showing up as a daughter, as a person, as uh, someone who's completely there with him. No separation. Zen Master Sung San teaches, uh, when the mind is clear like space, red comes, there's only red. Blue comes, there's only blue. And this is like uh, Ling Chao showing up. But when a hungry person comes, then what? Are you just hungry? As Sung San says, and I think we understand intuitively, when a hungry person comes, you give them something to eat. We need Ling Chao to show us uh, how to let go, to see clearly, reflect clearly, not getting caught up in our ideas of helping or being helped. But I wonder if the son Kang Hyo had been there, I think he might have simply held out his hand and helped up his father and his sister. His response, offering a hand, you know, our response, offering a smile, volunteering, being responsive to the world around us. The relative and absolute integrate. This is the action of the Bodhisattva. So th this Ango, uh, which for me and I imagine for all of us, <laughs> is quite full of the 10,000 things, right? All the variation the moments, the encounters, the emotions. This is the place to practice being born and dying in each encounter. Dogen says, this birth and death is the life of a Buddha. This birth and death is your life, the life of a Buddha. So not chasing after austerities or stamping out emotion, and ours is really a practice of with heart and feelings, right? As Ryoshin so beautifully demonstrated the other day. The hurt at the loss that the son shows, right? bearing witness to his suffering. Our practice is bearing witness to our suffering and the suffering in the world. And also, 
being there for the snowflakes falling and melting away in one period of zazen, living and letting go, right? paying attention to each moment, encountering our lives with respect. And this ango in our daily lives, the 10,000 things come forth and illuminate the self, the space for awakening. And as we continue to reflect on the Pong's family practice, we can see that our own families, you know, the ones we're born into, um, and these families we create together, these communities, uh, these places where we offer and receive support, right? These are the spaces for practicing the way together. Born to each moment, living fully and deeply in response to both the joy and sadness, uh, the suffering and beauty, and letting it go. So there's space for the next, and this, and this. So I'll finish with just a short excerpt from a Mary Oliver poem called, What Is It? How could anyone believe that anything in this world is only what it appears to be? that anything is ever final, that anything, in spite of its absence, ever dies a perfect death. 